Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. Right. Thank you, Mr. Rob Susan. Yeah, get your pencils out, sharpen them up, or if you got a pen, start hitting the tally marks. You're going to have to keep up today. You are, because it is all about the Holy Spirit. This morning, we come together under the presence of the Holy Spirit. We are the body of Christ. Hey, there's Mr. Rob Susan. Hey, he's back from the treehouse. We're the church. We are the church. And the Greek word for the church in the New Testament is ecclesia. We are the ecclesia. And that primarily means an assembly. That we're a company, a company of people. But I liked this definition that I found in my Bible dictionary. It says those who anywhere in a city, a village, constitute such a company or gathering and are united into one body. And that's what we are this morning. We're united as one body of Christ, the communion of saints joined together by modern technology, the great digital streaming that we enjoy. And so many right here in this house and what makes us knit together what makes us united even though there's some of us here and some of us in another place it's the holy spirit the, the spirit of the living god paul that new testament writer he exhorted the believers in the city of ephesus uh, where a church had started he wrote them a letter and he said i urge you i urge you keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace so from wherever you are this morning. We all together constitute the church. All of us. We are a company that's united. We gather under the unity of the Holy Spirit. And this morning it's all about the Holy Spirit. Because today is Pentecost Sunday. And Pentecost, if that's something that maybe you've heard the word, but you really don't know exactly what that means. Pentecost is a Jewish festival. And it's the festival of the harvest. And that festival of the harvest followed 50 days after another Jewish festival that was called Passover. The Jewish people commemorated first the Passover. And the reason that they did that, it was because they remembered God's salvation. That's what the Passover was all about. God had liberated the nation of the Hebrew people from bondage in Egypt. And that really came to fruition on a night where the firstborn and all of Egypt died. But the Hebrew people, their firstborn were saved because they put the blood of the lamb or the blood of a lamb over their door. And this idea of Passover, the angel of death passed over. And so they celebrated it every year that God saved us. And they marked it. Why? They all had a lamb. And then what happened was hundreds of years later, Jesus arrived and he gave his life on the cross. And that was on 
Passover. So Jesus became this fulfillment of Passover. He became uh, the reality. He was the final sacrifice for sin. He was pierced. He was crucified for our sins. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace with God, that was put on Jesus at the cross. And then God said, no more. No more blood offerings are necessary or are required. I receive that as 100% complete covering payment for sin. It's done. Jesus is the final sacrifice, the Lamb of God. And that's what he was called in the, in the Gospels. And that same Lamb of God, Jesus, he made a promise on the night that he was arrested and that he would be falsely accused. He promised something to his closest companions. He promised the coming of the Holy Spirit. So at Passover, at that Passover festival, Jesus was pointing to uh, another time. He was pointing ahead. They didn't know at the time that he was pointing to the harvest. He was pointing to Pentecost. Jesus reiterated this promise after he resurrected from the dead, before he ascended into heaven. He said, hey, this spirit is coming. And he told, again, his closest companions, you go into the city of Jerusalem and stay there. Stay in. Stay in until you receive the promise. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it's no coincidence. No coincidence at all that the promised Holy Spirit arrived on that festival of Pentecost. So like Passover, another of these Old Testament rites became a reality in Jesus Christ. And there's something very interesting about Pentecost that sets it apart in the new covenant that we live in. It's set apart. And there's a difference that's interesting. We commemorate and remember Passover every Good Friday. On Good Friday, we talk about it. We remember how Jesus was crucified for us and all that he went through to win us our salvation. And then every Easter morning, we have another commemoration. We remember the resurrection. And every time we sit down to have communion together, we say we, celebrate, we remember the Lord's death until he comes. So these are are all remembrances because Jesus died once. It was one time. Jesus resurrected once. One time. But Pentecost stands out with a difference. And the difference is that it's not just one time. We don't look back just to remember the day of Pentecost because it was not just a one-time occurrence. The infilling of the Holy Spirit continues to this day. And that's an amazing difference. The church was birthed on that first Pentecost. And believers in Jesus today received that same Holy Spirit as did those first followers on the day that the church was born. On that day, that first Pentecost day, the Apostle Peter declared to a huge crowd that gathered, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he went on. He said, this promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. For whom the Lord our God will call. And if he's called you, you're one of those who are far off 
and you receive that same promise, the infilling of the Holy Spirit. We all do. So Pentecost continues. It's not just something that we remember. It's something that we live. That same promise of Jesus continues through every generation to every place where the gospel is preached and received. God loves us as much as he loved those first believers. Jesus Christ died for them as much as he died for us. And the Holy Spirit's eager to dwell in our hearts as much as the Holy Spirit was going to dwell in the hearts of those firstborn Christians. Whenever a soul humbly yields their heart to Jesus in repentance, as Peter had said, repent and be baptized. Whenever a soul sincerely repents and says, I believe what Jesus did and that he, re- he took care of the penalty for my sin and I received the pardon for sin and they're obedient to follow Christ in a life of faith and be baptized into his death and his burial and his resurrection, there the Holy Spirit has been drawing and descending and operating and cleansing and sanctifying that soul and making it his living temple. Amazing. We're temples of the Holy Spirit. Jesus promised that to his first followers. The Holy Spirit is with you and will be in you. That's what Jesus said in John 14, 17 to his companions. The Holy Spirit's with you. He will be in you. And then he repeated that promise a number of times. And mere hours before he'd be arrested, falsely accused, sent to the cross, Jesus was making that same promise. The Holy Spirit. Earlier in that day, that last day, the day of the Last Supper, Jesus' closest friends, you'd think they would be doing everything they possibly could to support him. No, they were arguing. Who's the greatest? They're contending among themselves. Who's the best? Who's the best? Who's the greatest? And the Gospels record for us, that wasn't the first incident. That wasn't the first time they argued that night of the Last Supper. No, if you look through the Gospels, this is the third time it's recorded. Now, if you think about it, something's recorded once, it occurred, something twice, three times. It seems to me that this might have been something that perhaps even happened more. Yeah, it was recorded three times, but these guys, they seem like they were, they were sometimes just fighting among themselves. I'm better than you. I'm the best. I'm the greatest. And there they were on the night of the Last Supper. Jesus had talked to them on their other occasions, told them, listen, the greatest among you should be the least. But on the night of the Last Supper, you know what he did? He washed their feet. He didn't even say anything. He just washed their feet. Then he talked. They all quieted down. They all quieted down except for Peter, who always liked to say something. But then even he quieted down after Jesus talked to him. And he washed all their feet, even Judas. Even Judas, his betrayer. Jesus was the greatest one, the greatest, the absolute greatest. And yet he became their servant. And he said, I, your Lord, have washed your feet. Now go do the same. You don't realize what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. So when would they come to understand what Jesus did? When would they come to understand that? Well, just follow along in the book of Acts. And you discover 
Something happened on that Pentecost day when they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. What occurred with people like John and James, who they were, they were a, two, two of the men were like, hey, we're, we're the greatest. You know, they even had their mother talking to Jesus. Hey, can, can John be on the right and James on the left in glory? Well, where, what, what were they doing after being filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, they weren't talking about who was the greatest. All the believers were together. You get to the end of Acts chapter 2. They were all together in unity, sharing all things in common. Peter and John, they became united to boldly preach, and they didn't care if they were going to get persecuted. They, they just went out and preached Jesus. Peter went to stay with a tanner. Tanners were untouchable people. Jews wouldn't even get close to them. Peter went and lived with one. Well, that's, he's not thinking he's greater than that guy. Then Peter started to minister to Gentiles. He went to the house of Cornelius. Peter was a Jew. They were, they didn't want anything to do. They wouldn't cross racial divides like that. And yet Peter was ministering to the Gentiles. Philip is preaching in Samaria. He's in Samaritan towns, really. Jews and Samaritans harbor deep racial animosity. They didn't bother Philip. And then we read that Peter and John also went to Samaria. What happened? What happened to this, I'm greater than you? What happened to, I'm better than you attitude? This is the power of the infilling of the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit's not some idle observer standing off on the side, just, just checking things out. No, the Holy Spirit's an active participant in people's lives and continually working within. That same Holy Spirit fills believers in Christ today. Now, who is this Spirit? Who is the Holy Spirit? And in answering that, I want to share with you from Paul's letter to the church in Rome. So you can mark your Bibles at Romans chapter 8. I'm going to get there. If you have paper Bible, if you've got your digital Bible, just get to Romans chapter 8, because I'm going to be there in just a minute. It's the most encouraging and uplifting passage of Scripture. Now, Paul, this New Testament apostle, he was a man that was des- described himself as the worst of sinners. So let me just give you a little background as it lead into Romans 8. Paul, this guy that said, I'm the worst of sinners, and he was a Pharisee, he was a Jewish Pharisee, so in his, in his life before Christ, as a Pharisee, he considered those outside of Ju- Judaism as less than. No, you're less than me. He was, a, he was a high Pharisee above everybody. And if you were a Jew in Paul's time and you became a Christian, his attitude was you are worthy of imprisonment and you're worthy of death. And he was an active participant in that type of persecution. But when he was converted to Christ, when he was converted to Christ and he became a Christian and he was filled with the Holy Spirit, this man overcame a bloodthirsty hatred for people who were different than he was. Was he perfect? Did he instantly become a perfect person? No. No, that's, that's not how salvation and sanctification work or, or works. He was an overcomer. He set aside that hatred. Yet he still struggled with sin. In his letter to the Romans, he relates this, how he wrestled with sin. 
Leading into that chapter 8, he he wrote about himself, and he was the least of the apostles, this guy. He had written uh, in another letter, I don't even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. I'm less. He said, I'm less than the least of the Lord's people. Now this man who had viewed himself as the highest sees himself as the least, and he began to get really transparent about that and about his struggles with temptation and sin and the difficulties that accompany that. And he wrote that in Romans chapter 7. In that, in that chapter, he repeatedly writes, I do the wrong things. As much as I want to do what's right, I don't do it. I want to do good, but evil's right there next to me. And evil's getting me sometimes. And he goes back and forth several times about this battle between sin and righteousness. I don't do the righteous. He writes, I do the evil. And I think how many times have I been to this chapter? I mean, this is a chapter as a, as a human being I can relate to. How many times, how many times have I had this battle? How many times have I gone back and forth? How many times have I not done what I, what was righteous? And Paul, in, at the end of the chapter, in exasperation, he writes, what a wretched man I am. And if we're honest, we might be able to relate. I've been there. I've been to that chapter. It's like a worn out page in my Bible. And I can relate to what, what he says when, when, when I fall short. What a wretched man I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? The apostle wrote. He wrote, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Wow. So there is deliverance. And then Romans 8 opens with this beautiful line. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Thank you. I love flipping to that. In one of my Bibles, that's exactly what happens too. Romans 7 ends. And it seems like, well, okay, there's no, there, there, what a wretched man I am. Thanks Thanks be to God for Christ Jesus who will deliver me. But I got to flip the page and then read. Ah, therefore, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Thank you, God, for that. And now, how does that come about? And how could I live it better? How could we all live it better? Paul begins to write about the Holy Spirit being led by the Spirit, the indwelling of the Spirit, to be conquerors over evil. This is the chapter where he says, We can be more than conquerors. And it's by the Spirit. Who is this Holy Spirit? I have a a few points to touch on, but the first couple, I just, I'm going to go over quickly because my whole thought process changed as I watched our nation just go into these convulsions in all the cities with the fighting and the violence and the hatred. And I want to close where we can, we can focus some on that and the idea of the Holy Spirit. That's my, my third point. Uh, as I get there, let's just look real quickly at what Paul writes about the, the Holy Spirit. This was the man, again, who wrestled with sin. And one of his sin, sins was the sin of racism. That was a big part of who he had been. Uh, hating Samaritans, hating non-Jews. And now... You know, as some of our cities are burning and people are dying and, and it's because of these same sins. How can we be overcomers? It's by the Spirit. 
And who is the spirit? First, Paul said he's the spirit of God. Spirit of God. Mr. Rob Susan said the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Well, Paul writes about that. Romans 8, 8, 9. Those who are in the realm of the flesh, it says. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. Paul Paul points back to his testimony in chapter 7 about his wrestling with sin and evil and succumbing uh, uh, to to, to the pull and falling into sin. That's the realm of the flesh. You who are in the realm of the flesh. So life in the flesh and all of its lusts, it can't please God. Have you received the Holy Spirit? Only you can answer that question. And if the answer is yes, then you're in the realm of the Spirit. This is what the apostle writes. Because God lives in you. God. It's not the spirit of some angel or created being. Paul writes, it's the spirit of God, almighty God. And the next line, he says, it's the spirit of Christ. And here's the tie-in to the Trinity. Spirit of God, the Father. Spirit of Christ, the Son. This is the Holy Spirit. And he's the third person of the triune God. See the importance of that. The triune God would live inside us, make us his, his temple. It's an amazing thing. Is the spirit of God living in you? If not, you're not in the realm of the spirit. And there's some really firm words there. Paul writes, you do not belong to Christ unless indeed the spirit of God lives in you. So what makes the difference between the struggle between righteousness and evil? The spirit of God, spirit of almighty God. He's with you and he'll be in you. This is the promise of Jesus. We're going to come to him sincerely. Paul continued. Paul continued Romans 8, 10 and 11. He wrote, but if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Again, on this struggle with sin, our body's destined to die. Our body's destined to die because of sin. That, that occurred back in the Garden of Eden. First man and woman sinned. God had told them, don't touch that tree. If you do, you're going to die. They're like, no, they fell to the temptation. No, we won't die. And yet they did. They were tempted. They sinned. And ultimately they died. Our bodies received that same thing. We're going to die. That, that's a reality. But Paul here is writing, hey, there's something more to come. It's the resurrection. The same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead will raise these mortal bodies, a body that will live forever and never die because of the Holy Spirit who lives in you. We can look forward to that, to live eternally in a resurrected body likened to Jesus' glorious body. That's also an amazing promise. But this is forward-looking. That's, that's future. What about today? What about the here and now? How are we supposed to live, especially when we see things falling apart around us? Does the apostle give us anything that we can apply to life now? Well, he does. He does. And later in Romans 8, Paul wrote, the spirit of God, the spirit of life, resurrection life, is also 
the spirit of prayer. And this is Romans 8, 26 and 27. Paul writes in the same way. And he had gone on about the resurrection. So it's in the same way that the spirit resurrected Jesus and the same way the spirit will resurrect us in the same way the spirit helps us. In our weakness, that's now. In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Spirit of prayer. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of prayer. I could also say the Spirit of intercession. Holy Spirit will pray with us and for us and in us with this earnestness that words can't even express. This is the importance of the indwelling Holy Spirit. If we have the Holy Spirit within us, we can find help in our times of weakness. When we're in that place of exasperation, go back to the close of, uh, uh, of Romans chapter 7. What a wretched man I am. Who's going to save me from this body of death? I don't know if Paul wrote the next line immediately or if he went off and he prayed in the spirit. God, I'm a wretched man. And he just began to pray with wordless groans. I can see it being that exasperated. When we're at that place, the spirit will intercede in concert with the will of God. And this is not something to wait for. This is not something for the future. Like the resurrection, that's today. This is life today. It's life when you're forced to isolate. You can't see faces for months and months, faces of those who you love. It's like, you know, months of no paycheck coming in. And it's while cities are feeling violence erupt and people being killed and unjust murders of people who are in authority doing the wrong thing. And it sparks more violence and cities are rioting. Do we have words to even express this in our prayers? When the right words to pray escape us, the Holy Spirit helps us to pray according to the will of God. And I want to pray as we close this morning. Let's just pray. Let us pray for uh, uh, our church and our nation and our states and our cities. That's a church, you know, like we heard earlier, rise up to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you, this is the only way to break down hate. It's the only way to win those who hate each other. How did a guy like Paul, who hated people because they were different, they looked different, they were born in a different place. How did he overcome that hatred? Jesus Christ and the indwelling Holy Spirit. Before we close this service, those who you're here in your seats, Pray, pray. And those of you who are in your homes, wherever you're at, you're in your home, you're in your living room, your family room, even if you're out on your back porch, take time just to kneel down before the Lord or stay seated and just go before him. You might not have the words. That's okay. It might only be wordless groans, but allow the Holy Spirit to intercede for you. And to search your heart as the word says. And intercede in accordance with the will of God. Cameron's going to play here on the keyboard for a few minutes. And 
just wherever you're at, get, get yourself before God to pray. Let's pray for our cities. Let's pray for our states. Let's pray for our leaders. Let's pray for the nation. Let's pray for unity. Let's pray for the church. Let's pray for the gospel of Christ to start to penetrate hearts and lives and change people and win them over by his love, his sacrifice, and break down hate. Let's pray. Take time right now. Take time right where you're at. Pray. Pray. Heavenly Father, as we just lay our hearts before you, God, sometimes we don't know the words to pray. Pray through us, God. Pray through us. Lord, by the power of your living spirit who indwells us, Lord, we pray that you would just speak through us, God. Speak through us as we pray for our cities, our nation, Lord, and our churches. Thank you, God, for your grace and your goodness. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ and the only love that can win over hate. This is true and everlasting love, Lord. Help us, help us, God, to, to stand up 
and send forth the love and share the love of Christ with those who need it. So many, God. We lift up our our cities to you. Thank you, God, for uh, sparing Detroit, God. We continue to pray that you would, would, uh, to the cities around us, God, that you would keep them settled, that you would keep them settled, Lord, that your, your spirit would prevail over them, God, to keep violence from erupting. Lord, we pray from cities, though, in our nation, from the big cities, from, from the Atlantic Ocean to the Pacific Ocean, Lord, all that have been fighting and rioting and uh, killing because of hatred for one person toward another, because they're different, God. God, touch those situations. God, we pray for your help. We pray for your help. We ask for your help. We need your help. Lord, settle these these places. May your Holy Spirit do a work, Lord, like never before. Work through, work through these situations, God, and bring peace. Bring peace, we pray. And bring peace, Lord, to this this virus that's invaded our country we pray you would knock it down we pray that we could begin to just openly get back to life god we are committing it all to you god we're committing it all before you you are the king above it all you are a god and there is none other you sent your spirit to help us and we're calling on that help today god you said in our weakness when we're weak you'll help we're weak right now lord Our country's weak. Strengthen us, Lord. Strengthen the church. Give us the strength and the boldness to go forth and preach the gospel and talk to people about the love of Christ and see them change. Lord, I pray that you would begin to just move upon people like you did upon that guy named Saul who became Paul. Lord, that he changed. He changed from a hateful person to someone who saw souls and he loved them. God, you can still do that to people who are filled with rage and hate. You can break down that, God, by the love of Christ and the living spirit. And we pray that you would do that, God. We pray that you would do that. Embolden us to share your your gospel and to show the love. Help us to be witnesses, Lord. Help us to remain united as a church. God, we pray that we wouldn't get divided within our church because of any of this. Lord, if we suffer with that temptation to be in the flesh, oh God, thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no condemnation. And we submit and yield to him and ask that spirit of the living God to bear the fruit of love in us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Bless your people now, God. May your hand be upon them. May you rest upon them by your spirit carry each of them God thank you in that powerful name of Jesus Christ our Lord and our Savior amen